Welcome to the PB&J podcast. This will not be televised. Whether you agree with us or not, we invite you to be curious, become empowered, conduct your own research, and gain personal confidence with the goal of improving your overall health and wellness. For health topics and questions, we encourage everyone to consult their physician to discuss the best care and treatments for their personal situation. Hey, Jay. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, man. I'm ready for this podcast, talking about sleep today. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you know, it's funny, we talk about sleep, we're talking about sleep, and I had a disruption of sleep for almost two weeks. Oh and my I'm, gosh. Uh, yeah, and I was trying to dig in to figure out what was going on with me and, and not being able to get to sleep like to one, two o'clock in the morning, you know, and so this was like the best time now to talk about sleep and, and what others may be experiencing and, and what are the effects of having that irregular, broken down, disrupted sleep patterns, you know, on multiple nights, not just once or twice, but on multiple times. So. Right. And I can tell you any given night when you have insomnia, give me a holler because I'm probably awake. You too. Uh, because <laughs> I've been suffering from insomnia for years now and I I'm always going to blame it on age, right? Mm. I'm always going to blame it on age and menopause. That will be my road answer. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, you know. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> but, but here it is. Um, you know, there are people who age gracefully and they get the, enough, uh, uh, adequate am- amount of sleep. Anywhere between seven to eight hours of sleep is, is considered normal, right? Some people even get nine, but that's what their body requires because everybody has their own rhythm their own circadian rhythm as far as sleep patterns and and their wait times and their sleep times, you know, but the thing is, it's when it's irregular. I think that's where some of the key problems may lie. And so um, I'm going to talk about one thing now that I've talked about irregular, you know, the brain has its ability to kind of like clear this with protein. It's called a, a, uh, amyloid beta protein from the brain and what it does. And it's kind of like the telltale sign of Alzheimer's. You know, when they do those images, those PET scans of the brain, they can actually see where there's clumps of this protein that are, are in the brain and, and they call it plaques. And so, and tangles. it's li- yes. Plaques and tangles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's linked to that to Alzheimer's, but as well as other diseases. So the thing is, when you when you look at that, you say, okay, uh, and science has already shown that when you, when you see those clumps of this protein in there, a large part of it has to do with irregular sleep or lack of sleep, not having adequate amount of sleep, you know, because our brain has these um, neurotransmitters that kind of you know, they're, they're responsible for our memory and, and for the things we do. And, you know, just like, do you remember when you were younger, you could kind of stay up all night long? And get- I remember those days. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> right. But the thing is, we seem to have decided that this is what we could do. We could actually stay up all night long. You know, I remember days when I would come home from the club, you know, and it would be like 
two, three o'clock in the morning instead of me going to sleep, you know, I just like, I have to get ready for work the next morning. So I or you just, would go out to breakfast. Pam, I can remember yes. that the, the club would close at two o'clock and right. we'd head, you know, to go get breakfast. And the next thing you know, the sun's coming up. Right. Exactly. What When you're walking in the door, knowing that you got to go to, to work the next day or, or right. whatever you had to do. But the thing is, we got into a pattern of, you know, that we could do this and it felt easily and seamless. And I, you know, but but here it is. It, it comes down to this. Have you ever heard the term biological night? I have not. Okay, so this is biological night is the period where melatonin is secreted from the brain and, it, you know, our blood uh, cortisol levels, they rise our body temperatures tend to fall and that's when we become sleepy. Okay. So we have a natural ability to create uh, our bodies to, to produce this melatonin during darkness. And once it starts, it, it stops when it's exposed to any bright lights or any op optical lights, you know, lights that come in through the eyes. So and that's when it stops producing that, that melatonin, you know, and people, it, it, a lot of research has gone on in the last, since COVID, especially since COVID, um, to kind of look at, you know, the increases, not so much looking at melatonin, but the increase of use of melatonin, you know, right. by, by Americans, because, you know, the thing is, we've already under stress, you know, where a lot of people working from home and are still working from home. And so it's like that, that ability to say, okay, I'm going to stay up and look at Netflix. I'm going to, I'm going to do something, you know, and we end up getting off our regular circadian rhythm as far as sleep is concerned during those periods. And so, you know, people say, well, okay, if our body creates, you know, produces this, this melatonin in the darkness, you know, blue light can be a disruptor. There can be a lot of disruptors in our life, but any disruption in our circadian rhythm or system increases the diseases that we may be susceptible to, including diabetes and cancers and Alzheimer's. Right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to bust in here and uh, you were talking about, you know, how the, the brain cleans things out. And so mm -hmm. um, Harvard put out this article and it was uh, evidently one of their readers had said, are toxins flushed out of the brain during sleep? Mm. And the answer was the brain has got a waste management system and mm. it's called a glymphatic system. And it's described as a series of tubes that carry fresh fluid into the brain, mix the fresh fluid with the waste filled fluid that surrounds the brain cells and then flush the mix out of the brain and into the blood. And this happens when you're in a deep sleep. Mm. And so you can see, you know, based on what you've already described, it's, it's definitely um, a big deal to get enough sleep so that those toxins are flushed out of the brain so that you do get that, um, that opportunity to get all the bad stuff out of there um, uh, rather than mm -hmm. staying awake and having insomnia right. <laughs> and not getting into a deep sleep. And so, um, this uh, article also said that there's evidence that an under-functioning waste management system, i.e. having insomnia, mm. may play a role in the neurodegeneration that follows traumatic brain injury. 
And it may uh -huh. also play a role in other brain disorders, including Alzheimer's, which we talked mm -hmm. about, the tau and the tangles. Mm -hmm. um, and since chronic sleep deprivation increases the risk for brain diseases, it's plausible that it does by reducing the function of waste management system. Mm. And so just to tag on to what you had already described um, and you know what happens to the brain when you're sleeping and, and the importance. And uh, also in, in case uh, you are feeling alone um, with, with not being able to sleep, the American Sleep Association says that 50 to 70 million people in the US suffer from insomnia. Wow. That's a lot. 50 to 70 million. That's quite a few. We have quite a few. Um, <laughs> a we're, we're in good company, I guess. Uh, right. <laughs> with that kind of statistics. And then uh, also when you were talking about, about the blue light, mm -hmm. uh, when you think about people and I just, and I'm, I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about mm -hmm. it, but you think about people who are working from home and where they might have their computers or they mm. might have their phones next to them. And they're just like, well, I just need to check my email. Well, I just need to sit at my computer. It may be in their bedroom. It may be right True. next to them. Um, if you have a nightstand, you may have your phones right next to you. And if you're checking your email or watching a video or texting with someone, you're getting that light that's interrupting your, your, your sleep pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very true. And Jay, let me tell you, it's, it's funny because um, you were talking about that and, and research has shown that there are certain things you can do to optimize your sleep, to get at least a good quality of sleep. And one of those things is eliminating that, that blue light, you know, at least an hour before you go to sleep. So, and I, you and I have have discussed this before, just like the clocks in our, you know, our alarm clocks, you know, we have tended to either cover them, remove them or turn them around. So right. we don't, we don't end up getting the exposure to the light, even the, the radiant light that's coming off of uh, something as small as alarm clock, right. <clears throat> you know, to try to create dark environments. So <clears throat> that's one of the things we can do is try to get our environment, our bedroom, specifically our bedroom, into an, a, a, an environment, take that environment and actually create optimal, you know, uh, practices in order to, to make sure that we get quality of sleep and darkness is key. Also the temperature of the room, you know, uh, to get it at 68 degrees is like perfect temperature for sleep. Even if it's cold outside, just throw an extra blanket on. Even if you're cold, throw an extra blanket on, but don't change the temperature of the room because it allows you to sleep more. Um, and then, you know, we've also mentioned things like, um, you know, doing, you know, meditations at night, you know, getting our state of mind to be ready to sleep, as well as eating our last meal three hours before we go, go to bed because of the fact that you want to kind of like put your body on pause as far as ingestion to allow it to actually be able to ingest that food. And of course, the primal thing is, is to get silence, you know, because there, we have light sleepers and we have people who could sleep through a rock fall, you know? <laughs> And not okay. hear a thing, you know. All right, so I you, you opened the door, so I'm going to talk about it. I okay. Talk about I want to talk about snoring. 
Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I also want to talk about room temperature too, but let's talk mm -hmm. about snoring and we'll talk about uh, sound. Mm. So I've got experience growing up in a house where my parents snored mm -hmm. and my ex, two of my ex-husbands have also snored. And I can mm. also tell you that, that the loudness and the disruption mm. that that caused sent me to either the sofa or to the guest room mm. because I simply could not sleep. It was like sleeping next to a freight train. I can imagine. And so, you know, when people snore, it not only is it annoying, but it could be a, a symptom of some other something that's going on with the person who's snoring. And Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, now, my ex-husbands, they never got checked for sleep apnea, but that's one of those things that is of concern, um, especially if someone is overweight or drinks a lot of alcohol. Right. And so for anybody who snores out there or has a, a, a partner who snores or a parent or a child who snores, um, you may want to look for or ask them about certain things like, uh, do they have headaches? Do they mm. have a sore throat when they wake up? Uh, do they know that they have stopped breathing? You mm. know, they all of a sudden mm -hmm. awakened. Um, have they gasped or choked at night? Do they have high blood pressure? Um, it may be something to look into and not ignore because sleep apnea uh, can really deprive the brain and the body of oxygen. And it's a, it's a pretty big right. deal. Uh, if you're not getting that oxygen while you're sleeping, and Absolutely. it's disrupting your, uh, you know, your blood flow. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty scary, actually, depending on the severity, if that's what's going on. And it could be that you don't have sleep apnea. It could be that you just snore. Door. It could right. be that. <laughs> you need you to just, add noise. You, yeah, you it's like, yeah, those <laughs> muscles, those muscles right? yeah, those are, are flapping in the wind. Yeah, <laughs> things are flapping. Things are going on, causing you to make all kinds of noise. And it has nothing to do with sleep apnea. Yeah. But uh, could be you have a, a deviated septum, could be a That's nasal true. problem. That's so, true. That's but, true. you know, that whole noise thing, I can tell you firsthand uh, that that whole noise and the snoring thing. <laughs> if you, yeah. If you're sleeping next I, to or in the house of someone who snores loudly, you better get some earplugs. That's absolutely. all I got to say. <laughs> absolutely. And here it is. You know, I know there's so many, you know, pretty much everybody has access to getting that tested. You know, um, even if you even if you don't have good insurance, you know, there's research labs out there. I mean, pretty much in every state and, and there's sleep labs. And so you can actually be a volunteer. Uh, you might end up having to sleep overnight just so that they could do the monitoring. But the thing is, it's always available and it is there for you. So take advantage of it. Check your area. Look for a sleep lab or some school that's doing a university that's or someone somewhere where you can actually be part of a research team if you don't want to go to if you if you don't have access to insurance that will cover it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, don't don't ignore it. Uh, get it checked out. Uh, get yourself and your loved ones peace of mind yeah, by making sure you don't have it. And those absolutely. CPAP, those CPAP machines, you know, they used to look like, uh, you know, something from outer space, Yeah, but they have really improved the, the nasal cannulas and, and the apparatus that uh, folks have to wear for uh, sleep apnea. So those CPAP machines aren't like they used to be. They've really 
Mm. They've really come a long way. And you yeah. can even travel with them. If you like to travel and you're afraid, you know, you need your machine. Right. They have travel versions you take with you. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I remember someone and I, I, I can't recall who it was who had a CPAP machine and I heard it and I could actually hear it. It was loud, you know, right. and I was like, wow, just sounds like um, one of those chambers they used to have years ago yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> it would put people in. yes 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 it was like oh my gosh uh but yeah I, that's the good iron lungs. the iron, iron lungs. lungs i couldn't yes. think of it the yes. iron lungs yes yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah so that's that's cool so uh, you know the thing is i think people ignore their sleep thinking it has nothing to do with their health yeah you know you're it's right. just, and, and people always come up with the excuse, oh, I don't need that much sleep. Well, yes. You know, the thing is, yeah, you think you don't need enough sleep. And, but at the same time, if you want to increase your performance, if you want to do well, you know, having conversation, if you want to feel, have that energy in the morning, if you want to be able to kind of maneuver your life as you get older, that sleep is so important because. I know people who have older people who are suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. And it, and not only does it impact the person, well, the person always say they don't remember what's happening anyway, so it doesn't really impact them, but it has, it takes its toll on those that they love, you know? Yeah, the caregivers are, are impacted and, Absolutely. you know, sleeping with one ear open and one eye open, uh, not getting enough sleep and uh yeah yeah that that's a, a pretty big deal and you know when you're a caregiver and you're thinking about your loved one you're not thinking about yourself right uh, that self-care is really important uh, it's not selfish uh, it really is not selfish because if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to be able to take care of anybody else absolutely so uh, absolutely. people need to think about that and, and you know when you talked about uh sleep and energy and things like that I found that I, when I've gotten older and you were talking about being able to stay up 24 <laughs> seven at when we were kids, right. uh, I, I've taken several trips where I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to go catch a plane, to go to California, for example. Mm. And by the time you get there, you are, it's almost as if you've been drinking because of the lack of sleep and, you know, having an expectation of being productive or saying anything that makes any sense to anybody, it, it's just not likely to happen as you get older. Um, I don't know. Maybe if you were in your twenties, you could you could you pull just, it off. You could pull it off, but not yeah. for not for multiple days at a time. No. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. no and it's man. funny you talked about traveling. You know, um, there has been an increase. You know, I mentioned there's an increase of abuse of melatonin, um, over the counter melatonin. You know, uh, by Americans. You know, just within the last year or so, two years, well, we're almost going into COVID for two years, you know, just people just trying to find different ways of getting to sleep. And I'm not talking about alcohol. That's another different episode, another different conversation. I'm just talking about just taking melatonin. And the thing is that if you are traveling, in your case, you had jet lag. You know, and that's a, that's a short term use of melatonin or people who are shift workers, you know, where they have their circadian rhythm is off. And so, you know, they have to, to maneuver and find ways in order to to 
fall asleep after I, they get off the shift and then maybe in the morning, you know? Um, and so, you know, they understand that the, the short-term use of melatonin is relatively safe, but no one is looking at, or let's put it this way, there's no current research on the long-term use of melatonin. And so the NIH is actually currently conducting, conducting this research on the effects of long-term use of melatonin. And we'll see, that may take another couple of years before they get the results back. But at the same time, it's like people just need to be conscious. Also the melatonin that, which I found out the melatonin that you get in the drugstores, you know, or in your pharmacy or grocery stores, uh, whichever brand you get, normally they're synthetic, synthetically made. And so you may be getting a higher dose. It's, it's more likely you're getting a higher dose of melatonin that your body, more than your body really needs. Well, it's not regulated. Any, any supplement like that is not regulated. So you could right. be getting just simple rice powder too. True. You know, because it's not regulated, um, just as you mentioned, you know, different brands, you know, different claims to, you know, being superior or, or you know, higher dosage. Mm -hmm because those things are not regulated, it, it really is a crapshoot. Um, and yeah. I, I'm guilty. I take vitamins, but they're mm -hmm. not regulated. Right. So I don't know what's in there. I mean, they could say I'm getting a whole bunch of B12 or D or whatever, but it could be rice powder for all I know. Right. A little bit it, of sugar. You know. you know, it could be sugar, it could be flour, flour. it could be you know, who knows, right. could be asbestos. I don't know. Absolutely. But, yeah, Ab so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I have to say, Pam, um, I have taken melatonin before in, mm -hmm. in, in an attempt to get to sleep. And it gave me some weird, weird dreams. Mm. And I could not take it anymore. I was like, yeah, if I wanted to go on a trip, <laughs> I, I think I'd take something other than melatonin. Right. <laughs> I don't but you, want to go on that trip. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you you brought you brought up a good point because they found out that you know research uh, has found out that the melatonin can actually it it can actually uh, cause more than just having nightmares. It could have you can have dizziness, you can have headaches, you can have nausea. I mean, things that that could affect different people in different ways. It it could even promote an allergy that you not normally had. Right. So I was like amazed. I was like. Okay, so over-the-counter melatonin has its risks, um, but for some people who have no effects by it and it helps them to sleep, then as long as they know that they're taking what's, what's prescribed on it, they may be getting something, you know, a higher dosage, but if it helps them to sleep, then for short-term use, I don't think it's going to be a risk. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard, you know, needs to be short-term and not... Uh you know, not long-term and uh, I can't get to sleep unless I take my melatonin. Right. It can't, it can't be that. Absolutely. Um, not a good, uh, not a good way to go. Yeah, it is not. Oh. It is not. So it, you know, we, but melon, you know, our lack of sleep has, is so dependent of so many things can, can result from irregular or lack of sleep, you know, even including obesity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you touched on that earlier uh, relative to, you know, eating right before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. Make sure you eat three hours before you go to bed um, because your body's going to start revving up the calories and the energy trying to, to process all of that 
that substance. And um, it, just as you mentioned earlier, uh, it's this article by um, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Uh, they said that uh, in most epidemiologic studies, um, increased risk of adverse health outcomes include obesity, just like you said, mm. diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Um, and that has been observed among those who reported sleeping five hours or less per day or, or nine mm. hours or more per day. So the range evidently, according to this article anyway, the range of, of sleep hours should be more than five, but less than nine. Mm. And so, you know, you saw the, the saw, well, you, you heard me talk about the 50 to 70 million people who have insomnia. And yes. so it, it's, I don't know if it's just in, they were just talking about uh, US citizens. I don't know if it's the mm -hmm. same in Europe or, or elsewhere, but yeah. that's pretty, it's, it's pretty significant that that wide population who suffer from insomnia. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right, because there's, I haven't seen too much research that involves other countries, as far as them looking at even even articles published by, um, I think I may have come, come across maybe one or two, uh, but nothing more significant than than what I've seen in, in the U, the research that's been conducted here in the, in the in the US. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if if we're the abnormally or you know, or yeah. Well, you know, you, you hear about what is it? Uh, is it Sweden and Denmark and some other countries that have like four day work weeks and mm. you have to take vacation and you can't oh, yes. work more than ten hours? Like, yeah, that's right. not the United States. That's, right. that's somewhere else. That ain't here. Right, so right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, it's only the United States. I, you're right, because we are, we work hard, we work long hours, um, we're driven, you know. It's funny, I was having a conversation with someone and, and they asked me a question, well, well, why, why are you doing so much? You know, why do you do so much? And I was like, and, and they're from Italy, oh, right? Okay. And mm -hmm. so I had to tell them, look, I'm a woman in the U.S. We always want to be first, okay? <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's kind of like, you know, the model that that we followed um, from the time we were children, you right. know, that that thing of competing and their thing is they live to work instead of working to live. And so right. it's a whole different mindset and a whole different way of looking at life. And that's probably why their longevity rates are, uh, are higher than and mortality rates are actually lower than ours. Um, you know, you right. know, because of the fact that th their lifestyle is different, and and uh, not only in in the things they do, but the way they do it, you know. So, yeah, and and you know what too is you and I grew up in the same geographical area, and mm -hmm. that particular area that we grew up in mm. has got an expectation oh. of working long, working hard, yep. and a lot of competition. A and, lot of competition. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go in some places in the South and, mm -hmm. and I'll use Louisiana as an, as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, Mardi, Gras, Mardi Gras comes around and Fat Tuesday and everybody takes off work. Right. It's like, yeah, we're playing. <laughs> we're not, we're not working. We're playing. Right. And that is so foreign to me um, yes. because in spring break, that's a big deal too. 
people talk about, oh yeah, I'm taking off for spring break. I'm like, yeah, I did yeah. that when I was in school. Right. <laughs> but not when I work. No. Right. Exactly. And we yeah. didn't. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't take off with spring breaks. You know, it's, it's just, you know, and, and for me, even to have children when they were on spring breaks, we didn't go on vacation. Right. I, I continued to work. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are on spring break. So that's more work for me at home. And I have to work. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of, yeah, but this is, this is the environment we grew up in. This is the way we live. So, you know, but the thing is, I think, I think the most important thing to take away from this is that we need to do whatever we need to do in order to, to live the life that we choose for ourselves. So if you envision your life of being long and healthy, you know, sleep is one of the elements, but, you know, okay, aside from having to take melatonin, what other ways can we get help, you know, get to the point that we can have quality sleep? And so I have to bring up exercise. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah. Because exercise has been a game changer for me, which I know I've tested it. But when you look at the amount of research that's out there of, of exercise related to quality sleep, it is massive amount. Uh, and this is recent research that they've done. So they've looked at it and they said that, you know, and you don't have to work out every day. You know, you can do a little bit every day just to get to the point that you say, OK, I did something today. If it's no more than take a walk outside or or um, do something physical in your own house. Um, I have all this equipment in my house, right? And after Christmas, it was like, I'm going to take a break. And so right. I took a break. And that has that's more likely what is affecting my sleep pattern right now. Because yesterday, I had an opportunity to, I just, I just, set it in my mind. I'm just going to do a half an hour. I'm doing a half an hour of workouts and exercises. I slept like a baby. Right. And I was like, with no problems, eight hours. And usually my, my time is usually seven, but I actually ate, slept eight hours, which I knew my body was obviously tired. And so I felt more energized this morning. I, I felt like I could function mentally. My mood was better. So it's a lot of things that are, are connected to sleep. And it was a research that I found fascinating. And this research came out in February. And what they found out is not only the physical activity that gives you the quality of sleep, but social connections. And sure. we've, yeah, we've been in, in COVID now for almost two years, right? Well, two years, let's say it's two years, because I think everything started shutting down around end of February, beginning of March. Right. And so this research, you know, what they did was they looked at, you know, over 1300 people and they did a study and they found out that the people with the highest activity and social connection, you know, highest activity as far as workouts, you know, walking or jogging or whatever it was, it didn't matter. But the highest activity, along with the, the social relationships and connections, the more significant those connections were, is their quality of sleep improved tremendously. But not only that, but it, it lowered their risk of having sleep disorders like insomnia. You know, and so 
it, it, it just shows that, you know, that we can do things in our life, in our personal lives, in our social lives that can actually help us to have a better quality of sleep. And Pam, you know, we have talked about this on a previous podcast, but the importance of physical activity. Mm. And so when you start connecting the dots with the things that we've talked about, whether it be a good night's sleep or getting up and doing something or the social aspect, all of those things have been found. Those things have been studied and found to have increased life expectancy overall. Right. All those things. You start connecting all the dots and you see how they all are like puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. And so if the goal is to live as long as you can and be as healthy as you can while you're still kicking, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, sleep, activity, nutrition, right. uh, the, the whole nine yards, it just, it's all so important. It all connects together. And yeah. if, if people will just um, think about that as they're sitting, I'm thinking of myself, as they're sitting right. on the <laughs> sofa watching TV on a binge right. of watching something, uh, you know, the better off you're going to be. And, and as we all get older, uh, it, it's, it's even more important because you start thinking about your body in terms of, geez, you know, my, uh, my, my liver is uh, X amount of years old. You know, right. when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're not thinking about how old your body parts are, right? <laughs> right. But you start, as you get older, you're like, wow, yeah, um, my, my teeth are X amount of years old and my, right. my stomach's X and my lungs and my heart. Yeah, my and my heart hair is, is graying. And my hair, oh, don't even get me started about gray. Right. Yeah, if, if you have hair, right? If, it's, right. if you still have hair. Um, right. And so all of those things you start uh, you, you start analyzing uh, more, or at least I do. And, mm -hmm. and I think you do too. I do had, too. Uh, conversations about these things. Right. And so if you want to stick around, if you want to keep kicking and still, mm. you know, be with it, sleeping, the activity and the exercising of uh, the nutrition, all of that stuff. It's so important. It I mean, really it's not is. really exciting, right? It's, no. just, it's, no. it's like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes. Isn't right. that exciting? Yeah, well, it's not so exciting, but, you know, the end result is what's important. Yeah. So. And you're right, Jay. I think people at, at some point have to under, they have to know their why before they can be motivated to do anything different. We're here uh, to provide insight to our listeners. It's on them to decide on what they're going to do with the information that we provided. On that note, Jay, it is time to say goodbye to our listeners and, and to get ready for our next podcast, which will be exciting, as always. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners. Say goodbye to you, Jay, and we'll talk soon. Great discussion. Thanks, Pam.